Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring on Dr. Tom O'Brien. He published a paper uh, in January of 2019, I think, yeah, 2019. And, you know, this guy is so careful about everything he says. He has to be really, really careful because, you know, the whole world wants to use him as a reference and they'll misquote him, right? So he's really careful. But listen to the title of this paper that he wrote in January 2019. All disease begins in the, quote, leaky gut, the role of zonulin, in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases, intestinal permeability and chronic inflammatory diseases. All disease begins in the leaky gut. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, thank you for pressing play today. Super grateful. Hope you're enjoying your holidays, and I hope you're having an amazing day today. We had an amazing conversation with Dr. Tom O'Brien, which I'm about to share with you today. Dr. Tom is one of the best I've seen and heard in regards to articulating the point. He does his research. He's been in the game for many, many years. But it's one thing to know the research, it's another level to be able to communicate it in a way with analogies and stories and just how things work to make it make sense in the body. And that's what he does so well. And on this episode, he's going to connect the dots for you. We're going to get into Harvard Medical School. And Harvard Medical School has discovered that just about every single chronic inflammatory disease is linked to leaky gut. He's going to talk about a title of the article that is all disease begins in the leaky gut. Okay, this is from Harvard Medical School, and it's from his mentor and colleague, Dr. Alessio Fasano, who identified leaky gut back in 1997. And then we're going to get into these five pillars that contribute to chronic inflammation in the body. We're going to discuss genetics, your genes. I love how he talks about genes. He doesn't refer to genes as turning on and turning off. He refers to them as dimmer switches. We'll get into that. We'll get into environmental triggers, environmental toxicity. You're going to hear his story of lead exposure growing up in Detroit and what that led to. You'll hear a little bit about my story with silver amalgam fillings in my mouth and mold exposure at the home I used to live in. Then we get into the other pillars in this five pillars to disease, the microbiome, dysbiosis, leaky gut, and then what leads to this systemic immune response, which is called autoimmunity. You're going to be blown away when he talks about the amount of bacteria in your gut versus the human cells in your body. Wait until he shares something crazy about that point and why there's more genes in your gut versus the rest of your body, the whole human genome. 36% of molecules in your bloodstream are the metabolites from the gut. So we're going to dive deep into all things chronic inflammation, autoimmune disease, and all things related to your health and longevity. It was such a fun episode. You're going to love Dr. Tom. You probably know who he is already. And before I bring him on, I want to take this opportunity to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Tat titled, Buckle Up. I've been researching the keto space for a while now, 
but Ben has by far the best podcast I've listened to. The guests he brings on are phenomenal, and Ben himself is a pleasure to listen to. The amount of information provided in each episode is amazing, and don't get me started on these show notes. The show notes are the best I have seen. I've used them frequently to pinpoint a certain spot I wanted to listen to again. I've been researching keto and low-carb over the last few years, but listening to Ben and his guests and reading the books they provide have been amazing. Tat, thank you so much. Super grateful that you're resonating with the podcast so much, and thanks for the acknowledgement on the show notes. I really believe we have probably the best show notes in the game of podcast, courtesy of Rachel on the Keto Camp team. So you could go check out all the resources and links and reference points and timestamps and everything we ever mention on these episodes are always in the show notes. You can guarantee that. We spent a lot of time on that. So thank you, Tat, for the acknowledgement, for listening. I appreciate you. The Keto Camp team appreciates you very much. All right, let's have a fun conversation with Dr. Thomas O'Brien. When it comes to getting healthy, Dr. Tom O'Brien, his goal is to make it easy for you to do the right thing. As an internationally recognized, admired, compassionate speaker focusing on food sensitivities, environmental toxins, and the development of autoimmune diseases, Dr. Tom's audiences discover that it is through a clear understanding of how you got to where you are, that you and Dr. Tom O'Brien could help figure out what it will take to help you get well. Dr. Tom is considered a Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and teaches that recognizing and addressing the underlying mechanisms that activate an immune response is the map to the highway towards better health. He holds teaching faculty positions with the Institute of Functional Medicine and the National University of Health Sciences. He has trained and certified tens of thousands of practitioners around the world in advanced understanding of the impact of wheat sensitivity and the development of individual autoimmune diseases. He is the author of You Can Fix Your Brain and The Autoimmune Fix, which we will link down below. Here's Dr. Tom O'Brien. Dr. Tom O'Brien, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure to be with you. I uh, have been a fan of your work for quite some time. I'm an FDNer, so Reed Davis and Functional Diagnostic Nutrition is actually where I originally learned from you. And Sean Croxton, here's a fun fact for you. Sean Croxton, who I know you know, uh, is actually the person who helped me create my company, Keto Camp, several years ago. I hired him as a marketing coach. So I'm very familiar with you through Sean Croxton and Reed Davis. And of course, Dr. Prompo brought you in for our platinum call. And I'm just so grateful to be with you today. And here's where I want to start, Tom. You grew up in Detroit, and that's a very toxic environment. You lived eight uh, blocks away, or just a few blocks away, one block away from the Ford assembly line, driving your bike through there, and not knowing you know, <laughs> that you're doing anything bad, breathing in all these chemicals. And then as an adult, you were a triathlon, and you ended up having some health issues. So could you take us back there and what happened with your health issues and what was the re- cause of those health issues? Ah, well, the, the the health issue that I noticed more than any other was blood sugar instability. And at the time, we were talking about hypoglycemia, low blood sugar, and and the list of manifestations that can occur from that. And everyone, not, not really, but most people had some of those symptoms. And so it was a very common theme to be talking about. It's not so much now. Now we talk more about insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. So we've taken it a step deeper in our understanding of the science and where all this stuff comes from. But my main thing was um, low blood sugar as I opened my practice and continued doing triathlons. And at some point there was some, I don't want to say cognitive issues, but why, why is my brain not working? I'm just tired. I've been you know, I put in a 60-hour week, blah, 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 whatever. And I tried to justify, and, I, and it, that just didn't work. And uh, then I had chest pains, which uh, were substantial. And his family history of cardiovascular disease. And, and so I went and got all of the tests. I scored the highest of anyone in the cardiac center on stress EKG, you know, walking tall, my heart's good, my cardiovascular system's good. And uh, I just didn't get, uh, 
And then by the time I was, I think it was 42, I started having vision problems. You know, I wasn't focusing. I couldn't see. This, this is where it occurred. Ja Jacksonville, Florida, arrived at the airport, do a talk, and I'm looking at the, there's a row of baggage claims, baggage claim one, two, three, four, five, and what uh, city those bags, the flight that arrived, their bags were being put on that carousel. And I couldn't see past baggage claim two. You know, I'm standing at one and I see two and I see three and I can't read it. And what? What? And I'm like squinting and I walk over the vent and I can read it. And I see, I'm 42. This isn't supposed to be happening at 42. So I went to an ophthalmologist and, well, first to an optometrist. And uh, he said, well, yeah, you probably would benefit from some reading glasses, but there's, you're really okay. Then I went to a behavioral optometrist, a little more advanced guy in uh, triggers that cause vision disturbances. And he said something similar. Yeah, reading glasses would probably be helpful. Then I went to an ophthalmologist, and that didn't do it. And then I went for my annual checkup with my internist. Uh, because of the cardiovascular scare, I just decided, you know, I'm going to get a checkup every year just to be sure. And I told him about all of this and the baggage claim thing a few months earlier. And he just looked at me and says, well, Tom, you've got a cataract. And he, I said, what? And I mean, he just saw it with a simple little scope looking in my eye. And I'd been to two optometrists and an ophthalmologist. They didn't see the cataract. So I go back to the ophthalmologist, and I'm not a happy guy, you know, saying, how did you miss a cataract? You know, you've got a great reputation, and we're friends, but how in the hell did you miss a cataract? He says, oh, you're right, you've got a cataract. Well, you know, the equipment we use goes deep into the eye, right, blah, blah, blah. I said, but I'm sorry. I said, okay, fine. Let's get, take this thing out. So they took it out, and an asymmetrical cataract in a 42-year-old guy is unusual. The other eye was perfect. The lens in the other eye was perfect. It's unusual. And I said, well, what do you think? What's the call? Well, some people just get this. And I just said, well, <laughs> no, that doesn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't do it. And so I started looking at the literature, and I found that lead poisoning could be a trigger. And I said, oh, I don't have any lead poisoning. And you were doing tests. You, you were doing lead uh, testing on your patients, right? At that time. Oh gosh, I had done by the time I was 42, I'd probably done 200, 300 tests. Wow. And there's three different ways to check for heavy metals in the body. The first way is a blood test. And back in the day, that was the only test that was validated by the government for a diagnosis of heavy metal poisoning. What's the problem and with that test? The problem with a blood test is that your brain does everything it can to get that crud off the highway. And so when you have a heavy metal exposure, it'll be in your blood for about a couple of weeks. Uh, but then it's not in the blood anymore. Well, where'd it go? Well, if it didn't get filtered and eliminated from the body, it's deposited. Get it off the highway. Mm -hmm. So it's no longer on the highway. You know, your bloodstream is just a highway. Uh, you know, lots of traffic, lots of different vehicles there, but it's just a high, everything's going the same direction, but there's no lanes of traffic. You know, if you think about that, it's like bumper cars in the bloodstream all the time. You're a kid, drive bumper cars at the circus, right? Yeah. Smash into each other. But that's what's happening in the bloodstream all the time. So when they make the argument, Tom, that silver amalgam fillings are totally safe because they do measurements on the blood right after they put them in, that's the reason why it's it's going somewhere else. It's going into your tissues, it's going into your bone, it's going somewhere else. That's exactly right, because silver amalgam fillings are usually 48 to 50% mercury. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's not the silver, but it's what's um, the heavy metal in there. And a blood test will not tell you that, unless you just got the fillings in the last two weeks. Then, most likely, you may see a slight spike that would go up, but then it goes down right away. And so... They, oh, don't worry about it. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. So that's the blood test. The second way is a hair analysis. And if it's a good lab, you know, back in the 80s, I, I opened my practice on Valentine's Day in 1980. Wow. And, uh, I wasn't even born um, then. I know. I, I know. That <laughs> ages me a bit, you know. <laughs> but back in the 80s, the concept of hair analysis and interpreting hair analysis for more than just components in the hair 
had a, a lot of mileage. Uh, there was a lot of people in complimentary, holistic conferences, a lot of vendors. There's always two, three, four vendors that hair analysis labs, and you interpret the ratios of different minerals to suggest hypoadrenia or kidney dysfunction or using the, the components of the hair for more than just what's in the hair. And there's still great value in that. Uh, the science has been dialed down a lot more. For minerals. For minerals. Yeah. Uh, but identifying heavy metals in hair, there's no question. If it's in your bloodstream, it gets deposited in the new hair that's growing out. The minerals and metals in your bloodstream will be in your hair. But the laboratory sensitivity for that testing, the equipment can only use hair that is less than two months old. So that's one inch of hair from the nape of the neck. Now, you might grow an inch of hair in a couple of months, and that's being really generous. Uh, but all the laboratories said, you know, if you've got long hair, cut and throw it away. Just give us the inch closest to the nape of the neck. Uh, or pubic hair uh, is the same thing, uh, but no more than an inch in length. Well, that inch of growth is thought to be about two months worth of growth. So when you're measuring heavy metals in hair and a hair analysis, one inch of hair, if it's a good lab, it's going to be really accurate as to what's been in your bloodstream in the last two months. But that has no bearing at all on what's accumulated in your body. Mm -hmm. it, it, by definition, it can't. So using hair analysis to determine heavy metal concentrations in the body has no credibility whatsoever. Agreed. Um, it's, it, it's great for a number of reasons, but not to identify accumulation of heavy metals. The third method is to take a chelating agent, meaning like a magnet, that pulls heavy metals out of storage, out of the bones, out of the brain tissue, out of the fat cells. It pulls it out of storage, so now it's in the bloodstream. And then you collect the urine over 24 hours. And I have always done, and there's debate about this. Some docs will say, use the chelating agents for four hours or six hours. I do it for three days. Yeah, us uh, too, yeah. Uh, because we wanna know, hey, I want to know what's in there. Well, the people can get sick. Well, that's true. So you don't do a heavy metal test until you've opened up detox pathways. So if there is a temporary increase in metals getting into the bloodstream, your detox pathways are working really good, which means that you're drinking at least a half ounce of water every day, a half ounce per pound body weight every day. And well, I'll be peeing all day. Well, that's the idea, right? Right? You know, and and you make sure your bowel movements are great. And if you're not taking enough fiber, you 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 make sure you're taking enough fiber. So patients need to prepare for at least a week or two before they do a provocative urine heavy metal test. They just have to make sure. And then we do it for three days. And you you can use there's a, a few different agents: DMSA, EDTA. There's a few different agents that you can use. And whether you do it for four hours or one day or three days, the concept's the same. You pull that stuff out of storage. Now it's in circulation and you collect the urine and you check the urine and now you're talking turkey. And what we have operated from for 40 years was that a three-day provocative challenge what you pull out is about one-tenth of what is in your body. And then the treatment protocol is three days of the chelating agents every two weeks. So, Mrs. Patient, on your calendar, you have a wall calendar? Yes. Okay, when you go home, circle Sunday, Monday, Tuesday next week. Then go down two weeks, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Then go down two weeks, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and do that for 10 different circles. So that's 20 weeks. And then two weeks after the last circle, you write retest. And so you do three days of chelation every two weeks, making sure that you have lots of uh, fiber, lots of uh, you're well, well hydrated, and you're taking minerals to, to pull this stuff out. 
and to replenish minerals into the tissue because it would take about 10 sessions of that before we get negative tests back. And you have to retest. Well, I've got heavy metals. Oh my God, the doctor said that's some of the highest he's ever seen. Wow. Well, okay, what happened? Well, I did the protocol. Oh, good, good. And did you retest? Uh, no. Why not? Well, I don't know. I feel better. But you have no idea if there's still lead in your bones. So I, when I did that on myself, I had the highest level of lead of anyone I've ever tested. And I had done a few hundred tests at that time. Wow. By that time. Did you think and it was wrong? And, and it's, no, God, no. I said, and when I saw that, my jaw dropped and I just, oh, wow. And I still remember, I still remember, you know, riding around the block on my bicycle, can't cross the street. So I ride all the way around and then on the street behind us. And that's the street on the river where the Rouge Ford plant was on the other side of the river. So I'm riding along the sidewalk and going around the block, coming back by my house, riding around. And when we'd have our Kool-Aid stand, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, two cents a glass, if you don't like it. And when we get past one neighbor's house who we didn't really like at all, we just shout out, kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I was like six years old. You That's know? fun. <laughs> what are you going to do, you know? But I remembered riding my bicycle around all the time. And I just loved to ride my bicycle. And we lived there from my birth until I was eight. And uh, so in that eight years of living across the river and one block in from the Rouge River Ford assembly line, the largest assembly line in the world at that time, wow, with no government regulations for uh, heavy metal uh, filtration on their smokestacks, we were just sucking in a lot of lead. And it stayed in my body for 40 years, and it manifested as a cataract. And I, I'll still do triathlons, and I was scoring well and doing all that. My blood sugar was stable. I was taking a ton of nutrients, you know, at that time for that. So I felt pretty good. But this little bit of cognitive, well, what's going on today? How come I'm, uh, I don't know, it's just too, I'm working too hard. And But no, it was lead poisoning in my brain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's such a great share because we're going to get into these five pillars that Harvard Medical School is talking about when it comes to chronic inflammation, chronic disease. And I know number two is the environment. And before we get into those, and I want you to kind of explain what, what I'm talking about here, I too was heavy metal poison. I had eight silver amalgam fillings in my mouth put in when I was a kid. I had them for over 20 years. And it wasn't until I met Dr. Pompa that he's like, got to get it out. And then on top of that, Tom, the house I was living in several years ago had black mold that was hidden and I discovered, right? So my body was beat up. And eventually, of course, I got out of that, that space and I got the fillings out safely. I've done the detox that I learned from Dr. Pompa and my health just has transformed ever since. So Marvelous. we're painting the picture on the environment. So let's talk about Harvard Medical School and why they're talking about this and how cool it is that they're talking about these five pillars that contribute to disease in the gut, which is leaky gut. Go ahead. Well... My friend and mentor, Professor Alessio Fasano, he's the chair of pediatric gastroenterology, Mass General at Harvard, professor of medicine, Harvard Medical School, professor of nutrition, Harvard School of Public Health, the director of the Mucosal Immunology Center at Harvard, and the director of the Celiac Research Center at Harvard. This guy's got five titles, any one title is a lifelong dream for people at the top of their field. So true. He's got five. He's got five. <laughs> we think he'll win the Nobel Prize because he and his team discovered this protein, zonulin, in 1997. They wrote their, I think it was their first paper, that that is the mechanism by which the cells of the inner lining of the gut open up intestinal permeability is a zonulin modulated mechanism. And when you have too much zonulin being secreted, your cells are open too much, too frequently, too, too large, you get, that's leaky gut. So he and his team identified leaky gut way back then. And for the last 20 years, they have been writing about it and demonstrating the uh, mechanism, the complications of what that causes 
many, many, many papers. And he published a paper in January of 2019, I think, yeah, 2019. And, you know, this guy is so careful about everything he says. He has to be really, really careful because, you know, the whole world wants to use him as a reference and they'll misquote him, right? So he's really careful. But listen to the title of this paper that he wrote in January 2019. All disease begins in the, quote, leaky gut, the role of zonulin in the development of chronic inflammatory diseases, intestinal permeability and chronic inflammatory diseases. All disease begins in the leaky gut. And this is what they're teaching at Harvard now. And so Fasano, in that paper, he identified the five mechanisms that create what he refers to as the perfect storm in developing chronic inflammatory diseases. Every disease is a chronic inflammatory disease. Not quite. I mean, there's a sodium deficiency that'll cause shrinkage of a part of your brain without inflammation. Uh, if you don't get some salt, you have to have some sodium in your diet, just not too much, but you have to have some. But And, and I, that's, that's really rare. I yeah, mean, that's... exactly, exactly. <laughs> but as far as I, in my everyday practice, everything I see is a chronic inflammatory disease. Well, we now know the mechanism by which chronic inflammatory diseases occur. And this is what they're teaching at Harvard. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea. And it is a great idea if you're trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. This perfect storm has what I call five pillars. Those five pillars that Professor Fasano has identified, first, it's your genetics. Now, you can't do anything about your genes. That's the deck of cards you've been dealt. And some doctors say, well, we're going to turn off those genes. And you can't turn off genes. There's no evidence you ever turn off genes. Genes operate on a dimmer switch. But, and you can dim them down, or you can turn them up really bright, but you can't turn them off, right? And what controls the dimmer switch of your genes? It doesn't matter that you, that you have the Alzheimer's gene. It doesn't mean you're getting Alzheimer's. Or if mm -hmm. you have the BRCA gene, it doesn't mean you're getting breast cancer. But it means if that gene gets turned up really bright, you're more than likely, that's where you're going to manifest a chronic inflammatory disease is in those genes. So what you want to do is dim down those genes, right? That's, that's the secret elixir uh, for long-term vitality and well-being is dim down the genes of inflammation. It's that simple. We just don't like it because every time you eat a French fry, those saturated, transformed fatty acid fats from the high temperature bubbling potatoes in that stuff, smoking oil from French fries, those fats are in your bloodstreams for up to 57 days, causing oxidation, oxidative stress, more free radicals, more free radicals, more free radicals. 57 days. You tell that to an athlete and their jaw drops. And I say, mm -hmm. you know, you want to perform well. You always need more oxygen in your bloodstream, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when you eat bad fats, you decrease the oxygen available in your bloodstream, 
for up to 57 days after you eat that. I mean, this whole concept from doctors, excuse me, but I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody about this concept of a cheat day. Well, mm-hmm. it's okay to have a cheat day. No, it's not. It's not. Now, we're human, but we're not consciously going to say, I'm going to throw out everything I know I'm supposed to do one day a week because I'm going to, this is my cheat day. I deserve yeah. a cheat day because I'm good the other days. Or everything in moderation, right? Right, right. Nonsense. That's because doctors want to be their patients' friends. They want their message accepted. You've got to be the wall. And I'll give you an example. You know, when I recommend a test to somebody, it's not because I'm doing a shotgun, let's test everything in the world to see, you know, what sticks on the wall, where we're going to put our attention. I recommend a test because the clinical evidence and the history of the patient suggests this is an area that we really have to, it's at the top of the checklist. Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? This is at the top, Mrs. Patient. We have to check this. If they refuse to do the test because I don't want to do a blood test or, you know, how much does insurance, well, insurance doesn't pay for it. I'm not going to do it. I say, oh, okay. And then I always did this. Patient refuses to do this test because insurance won't pay for it. Here, please sign this. Why? Well, because you're asking me to work with one hand behind my back and I'll do the best I can. But if you die, I'm not going to be responsible two years ago and your patients say, I didn't do my job. You're going to sign this or I'm referring you to another doctor. Okay, okay, I'll do the test. Great. All right, let's get it done. And then you see, you know, I feel really bad if a test comes back negative the first time. None of my tests come back negative the first time because you use your common sense and functional medicine training to determine where are we likely to find the major culprits right now. And later, Mrs. Patient, there may be like peeling away the layers of an onion. There may be more things underneath, but for right now, this is at the top of the checklist. We got to look for this and this and this. So that's genetics. Can't do anything about genetics. Number two is environmental triggers. And environmental triggers are the fingers on the dimmer switch that turn your genes up or down. That's the way you think about genes. It's like the round dimmer switch, not, or, or the slide up and down, whichever you want, you know, but it's dimming down or ramping up that gene to express itself. And where are the fingertips coming from that have their hands on the control of that dimmer switch? It's what you're exposed to in your environment. And as you said, you lived in a house with black mold, so you're inhaling this all the time. Well, we know that 60 to 65% of all Alzheimer's is inhalation Alzheimer's. It's what you're breathing that goes straight up into the memory center of the brain. Those are the only nerves in the body that have no screen from the body before they get to the brain. There's no screening. There's no filters. There's nothing. The olfactory nerves go straight back into the hippocampus, right back into the memory center. Why? Why? Because our ancestors, our ancestors, they're walking down the trail. They better be able to smell saber-toothed tiger and get out of there really quick. It's a life-saving mechanism. Or when they find food, very first thing they do, they grab something, what do they do? They sniff it. Mm. They have to be able to tell, is this bad bacteria? Is this poisonous to me? And then they nibble on it for taste, and then they eat it, right? So our olfactory nerves are the only nerves in the body that escort molecules straight back to the memory center of the brain. That's why the smell test is so critically important on our website. It's the first indicator that the memory center of your brain is on fire. So when you do this simple smell test and, you know, it's um, you, you, you take a coin, you scratch it and you smell it. And there's four options. Is it, does it smell like rubber, strawberry, whiskey or cinnamon? And you mark your answer. Turn the page, scratch the next one and you smell it. And there's four more. And there's 12 of these. Last page, there's the answer sheet. And so you score. If you score nine or below, you've got hyposmia. You're losing your sense of smell. 
And you go to my website, thedr.com forward slash smell. And just, I've done videos on this so you can understand this. It's the cheapest test to tell you is the memory center of your brain on fire right now. And if it comes back positive, then you do the blood test called the Neural Zoomer Plus to identify how bad is the fire, right? But you'll never check unless you know. That's why the smell test is so critically important. But that's inhalation as part of the environment. That's what you had in your house with the black mold. Mm -hmm. But the most common environmental trigger with their fingertips on the dimmer switches of your body is what's on the end of your fork. Mm. Everything you put, there are no neutrals, absolutely no neutrals of what you put in your mouth, except healthy water. That's the only neutral. Everything else is going to activate genes of inflammation or genes of anti-inflammation. Everything else is going to feed the bacteria in your gut for inflammation or feed the bacteria of your gut for anti for inflammation or the other for anti-inflammation. Uh, anti Sorry, forgot that. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, that's great to kind of be aware of because when you're making a decision of what to eat, you could ask yourself, is this going to feed inflammation or this is going to feed anti-inflammation? Exactly, exactly. You know, when I'm walking through an airport, you know, I usually put 150,000 miles on a year teaching around the world, but not this last two years. Uh, but when I'm in an airport, it's really a judgment call. What's going to be less inflammatory? And I love it when I change planes in Houston because there's a restaurant there called Papadou. And Papadou is a seafood place. And I can get a clean piece of fish and some green beans and some baby potatoes uh, in butter and garlic. Okay. Now, they're not organic, you know, but um, it's the best that I can do. And I've got to eat, you know, and I, I stack my backpack with bars and things. But when you got to eat, you have to be thinking, is this going to cause more inflammation? And if it is, and then you say, but there's nothing else available. Okay, what do I have in my back? Oh, I've, I've got a bar. Great, I'll, I'll just do a bar. And so that's the way you have to think all the time as you get more educated on what's inflammatory and what's not inflammatory. So that's number two, environmental triggers. Number three is the impact of the environmental triggers on the microbiome in your gut. To be clear, it starts in your mouth and it goes to the other end. That's your microbiome. The oral mucosa is critically important all the way down to the other end, all critically important. We think about the large intestine. That's where the majority of the bacteria is, but it's critically important from one end to the other. So when you have environmental triggers causing inflammation, you alter the balance of the good guys and the bad guys in your microbiome creating a condition called dysbiosis, which means too many bad guys, not enough good guys, and now you've got an inflammatory state in your gut. And when you have the inflammatory state in your gut, that creates step number four, the leaky gut. And when you have the leaky gut, those cells are separating, these molecules get in, but well, let's do that. Mrs. Patient, your digestive tract starts at the mouth, goes to the other end. From the other side of the stomach down to the end, it's lined with cheesecloth. It's called the epithelial lining. Only really small molecules can get through the cheesecloth. So think of protein like a pearl necklace. This is Professor Pisano's analogy. The acid in your stomach undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And your digestive enzymes and your micro, uh, some of the enzymes are produced by the good guys in your gut. The enzymes act as scissors to cut that pearl necklace. Cut it, cut it, snip, 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 snip. Until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace. And that's called an amino acid. And those pearls go right through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. And then they're, they're off. And they're the building blocks. You have an entire new body every seven years. Every cell in your body regenerates. How, how do you build new cells? The building blocks in the bloodstream are called amino acids. So the absorption of the amino acids occurs after the digestion. The enzymes have cut the protein smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. When you get tears in the cheesecloth, 
because you've got too much of the wrong kind of bacteria in your gut because you have too many environmental triggers over the years creating too many of the wrong bacteria in your gut, and that inflammation tears the cheesecloth. Now larger clumps of the pearl necklace get through into the bloodstream before they've been snipped down enough to fit through the cheesecloth. Those larger molecules are called macromolecules, big molecules. They get through into the bloodstream, and now they're often running on the highway, and your immune system says, what the heck is this? This is not a building block I can use. I better fight this thing. Yo, general, and in your immune system, you've got Army, Air Force, Marine Corps generals sitting around with nothing to do. We call them IgA, IgG, IgM, IgE, and you now are general chicken. Get rid of that macromolecule of chicken. Now you make antibodies to chicken, or you make antibodies to gluten, or you make antibodies to dairy, you make antibodies to tomatoes. It doesn't matter what the macromolecule is. When it gets through the tears in the cheesecloth, pathogenic intestinal permeability, when it gets through the tears in the cheesecloth, your immune system trying to protect you is going to fight this thing. So you make the antibodies. That's why someone does a 90-food panel. And it comes back, oh my God, 25 foods, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it is. Your immune system's just trying to protect you, right? Get, stop eating those foods for six months, clean up your gut, then go back and check again. Now you're sensitive to two foods, maybe three. And those are the ones you stay away from forever, right? Mm -hmm. So now you've got these antibodies in the bloodstream looking for chicken, looking for tomatoes, looking for bananas, looking for yeast, looking for bacteria all these different macromolecules that get through into the bloodstream. Now you have all these antibodies in the bloodstream. The problem is, and what's the, the problem with this, one of the problems with this vaccine that we're talking about now, nowadays, is that these antibodies looking for chicken, looking for tomatoes, looking for spike proteins, they're looking for, how do they know what molecules to attack? They've been programmed by General Chicken to look for the amino acid sequence of chicken. And I'm going to say it's A, A, B, C, D. So the antibodies are looking for A, A, B, C, D. I call it orange vests. So the antibodies are looking for orange vests of chicken and the red vests of tomatoes and the blue vests of, of yeast. Or, you know, they're, they're just looking for these amino acid sequences that we can understand it. Oh, look, there's an orange vest, a guy with an orange vest over there. So that's what they're looking for. And they fight it. They destroy it. They fire their chemical bullets called cytokines to destroy that. The problem is the amino acid signature of chicken looks a whole lot like a small part of the amino acid structure of the saran wrap around your nerves called myelin. So the antibodies looking for yellow vests or orange vests, look over there, orange vests, but it's actually myelin, but it's, it's the amino acid sequence, and they fire their chemical bullets at myelin. When they fire the chemical bullets at myelin, they damage the myelin tissue. Now your immune system has to make more antibodies to myelin to get rid of this damaged myelin tissue. Not a problem, except you keep eating chicken a couple times a week or you keep eating gluten every day, and you make the antibodies to the gluten, and the gluten antibodies, it's called molecular mimicry, that the yellow vests of gluten look a whole lot like your cerebellum in your brain, the myelin in your brain, the gangliosides in your brain, the collagen on your joints. That's why gluten can cause so many different problems, is the amino acid signature of gluten looks a whole lot like many of our own tissues that the proteins of our own tissues are hundreds of amino acids long, but this little sequence is the same sequence as in gluten. And so the result is the antibodies created by the immune system trying to protect you from the macromolecule of chicken or gluten or dairy or whatever it is, now they're going after myelin, if that's your genetic vulnerability. So that's number five systemic inflammation in the body. And it's that systemic inflammation that is the mechanism of every chronic disease. The hardest thing for so many of my students is shutting off their mind at night 
when they want to go to sleep. And it's funny because a lot of them say they wake up tired, already thinking of when they'll go back to bed again, but the exact moment they lay their head down on the pillow, it feels like a machine of crazy what-if thoughts turned on. Does this happen to you? Is your mind racing at night? What I found out is that the brains behind Magnesium Breakthrough have taken it to the next level with a product specifically designed for sleep. It's called Sleep Breakthrough, and it's been a total game changer for me and hundreds of my students. Sleep Breakthrough is a delicious pre-bed drink that combines the power of magnesium with other natural ingredients like valerian roots to help us fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and most importantly, wake up feeling refreshed. Since I started taking Sleep Breakthrough, I've been getting better sleep, tracking it with my Aura Ring, more REM, more deep, higher HRV, and this supplement is something I take with me when I travel, and I travel a lot, and I tend to get poor sleep while traveling, and this really helps me overcome that. So Keto Camper, head over to sleepbreakthrough.com slash keto camp, remember camp is spelled with a K, and order now. Oh, and in addition to the discount code we're gonna give you, which is KetoCamp10, that is KetoCamp10, there are always amazing gifts with your purchase. That's why I love shopping with Bioptimizers. So head to the link down below in the podcast notes or type in sleepbreakthrough.com slash KetoCamp. Use the coupon code KetoCamp10 at checkout. Go get it. Let me know your thoughts. And I can't wait for you to wake up feeling refreshed. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, what a great explanation. Re-listen to that for those who are listening. Listen to it again, or if you're watching on YouTube, watch that again. I have a question about the fourth step, the leaky gut part, right? Uh, I learned this from you, that you have 10 times more bacteria in the gut than all of the the cells in the human body. Let's just stay with that for a minute, because numbers don't mean anything to people. They don't. But my primary mentor and my friend, Dr. Jeffrey Bland, the founder of Functional Medicine, the guy is unbelievable. If you ever get a chance to hear him speak, just Google him and listen to anything he's talking about. And you'll say, oh, that makes sense. And he's so smart. He's got a photographic memory. I interviewed Jeff last year and he said, Tom, a teaspoon of poop, a teaspoon has more bacteria in it than all the stars in the known universe. And Jeffrey does not exaggerate. And I'm like, what? 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 Yeah, try to wrap your head around that. Yeah. And when you do, you understand that every forkful of what you put in your mouth is going to feed good bacteria or bad bacteria but it's going to take months and months and months to change the environment of your microbiome. You start getting benefits the more aggressive you are pretty quickly, but to turn this thing around, to really turn it around is going to take quite a while to do. That's why you can't say, well, I've had a good diet now for three weeks, but my gut's still not quite working, right? You know, you you can't think like that. It's just not going to work right? It's going to take months to do this. But when you understand every time you eat a teaspoon of blueberries, this is why one cup of blueberries a day, one cup of blueberries a day for three years, and your brain's working as well as it was 13 years earlier at one cup of, with everything else the same in your life. You know, it took three years but then they were able mm-hmm. to measure it because of the, the polyphenols, the benefits in blueberries, right? So I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you, but I wanted people to like wrap your head around that, a teaspoon of poop, more bacteria than all the stars in the known universe. So if you think taking a capsule a day of some probiotics is going to fix your gut, you're in for a hard awakening a few years from now when your disease or some new disease occurs because you didn't quite comprehensively deal with it. So true. If only it was that easy, just taking probiotics to fix right. your gut. Uh, it's, not, it's not that right. easy. <laughs> and then I also have in my notes here, most 
most bacteria in your gut have 100 to 150 more genes than the entire human genome. That's right. You know, so <laughs> it's a great discussion when we're um, done teaching and, you know, we go to dinner with my friends at, you know, some conference, wherever we are. And usually by the second bottle of wine, we're talking about this, uh, about are we really humans with a whole lot of bacteria or are we bacteria having a human experience? Because genes determine function. Every scientist knows that. For every part of our lives, the genes that get activated make the proteins, stimulate the production of the proteins that determine action. Action at the cellular level, action at the tissue level, action at the brain level with our thoughts. Our genes determine all of that. And if there's a hundred times more genes than uh, of bacteria that are circulating through our body, all of the messages from those genes circulating in our body compared to the number of human genes, who's running the ship? Sounds like the bacteria are. <laughs> it's a great discussion to have. You know, if you're geeky, you know, it's kind of fun to, hey, you know, I just read this study last week. Did, did you know that? I, I didn't know that. Send me that study. Well, that kind of goes along with, bah, 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 bah. you know, and you just kind of bounce off each other. It's really fun. It's really fun to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. I can see how much it lights you up. Uh, and then 30% of all the molecules in your bloodstream are the metabolites from the 36%. gut. 36%. 36% of all of the small molecules on your blood are the messengers from the bacteria in the gut. I call it the exhaust, crazy. the exhaust of the gut. They're, they're metabolites. But the bacteria in your gut, bacteria produces exhaust. That exhaust is called the metabolites. Those metabolites get into your bloodstream, and at any time, 36% of all the small molecules in your bloodstream are the metabolites of the microbiome. So who's running the ship? That's why, you know, it was Michael Gershon from Princeton in 1999. He wrote the book, The Second Brain. And it was mm -hmm. about the gut. And he really guided us back then before we knew every, uh, everything that we know today, which is still nothing or very close to nothing uh, compared to where we're going to be. But he told us back then for every one message from the brain going down telling the gut what to do, there are nine messages from the gut going up, telling the brain what to do. The ratio is nine to one. And this is how it occurs. The metabolites of the bacteria in your gut, and the more of the bacteria you have, the stronger the message. So if you've got a large colony of Klebsiella pneumonia, the number one bacteria for that people get in hospitals and they get pneumonia from it, if you, and I've had hundreds of people on stool tests, on poop tests, that have high concentrations of Klebsiella. And if you've got a high concentration of Klebsiella, the message going through the bloodstream up to your brain is not a don't worry, be happy kind of message. It's like anxiety or depression or bipolar. It sets up the mechanisms for cognitive dysfunction. That's why whenever you have brain dysfunction, and that's the whole message behind my book, You Can Fix Your Brain, Whenever you have brain dysfunction of any type, you always have to include fixing the gut. All disease yeah. begins in the gut. We started the show with that. And that's where we're going to end the show. All disease begins in the gut. That's what they're teaching at Harvard Medical School. And I'm giving you the watered-down version of that, you know, so that we, we can understand it. It's like an OMG again and again. Yeah. Uh, really, one teaspoon, all the stars in the known universe, really one cup of blueberries a day. And, and there's one last point that I'd like to make, if I can. Mm -hmm. Yep. And this really startled me, and I was embarrassed. I didn't know about this. The paper was published in 2019, and I, didn't, I missed it. It's in the Journal of the American Medical Association. So it's a prestigious journal, valid paper. As a matter of fact, the editors actually wrote a comment about this paper, and they said, this is an elegant study using sophisticated measurements, and da-da-da-da. But the editors don't give their stamp of approval to articles in the journal very often. 
but they did. And so I, you know, I read that and it just dropped my jaw. They looked at young women who wanted to get pregnant. And so this was just women, but they, they looked at a number of young women who wanted to get pregnant. And the marker that they wanted to follow to see what kind of results they got was first, did they eat fruits and vegetables and how much? And then were they organic or conventional? Conventional means you buy them in a supermarket. They're regular. They're not organic. And they followed these people. And what they found out, and this is the elegant study stamped by the editors of the Journal of the American Medical Association, what they found out was that if you ate more than 2.3 servings per day of conventional vegetables compared to 2.3 or more servings per day of organic vegetables, those that ate more than 2.3 servings of conventional vegetables had an 18% less likelihood of getting pregnant. 18%. Wow. But here's the kicker. They had a 26% if they got pregnant eating conventional vegetables more than 2.3 servings per day, they had a 26% less likelihood of having a live birth. They had miscarriages ah. or stillbirths. What? What? I mean, that's jaw-dropping. Those are huge percentages. Huge. And this is not a community college paper. This is the Journal of the American Medical Association stamped by the editors and categorized as an elegant study, meaning wake up world. And I've, I realized that I've been thinking the way I've been thinking for the last 10 years. Yeah, I'll get organic, you know, whenever it's available. But if not, you know, fruits and vegetables are good for you. Well, I've had to change that thinking. You can't eat conventional vegetables and fruits because the poisons, the insecticides and the pesticides and the altered proteins and the GMO foods that we now have so commonly available to us are having an effect on our function in our body. So if you cannot afford or don't have access to organic vegetables and fruits, then you go to ewg.org, the environmentalworkinggroup.org, nonprofit, I, I hope everyone will support them. They're doing God's work on the planet. Mm -hmm. You want to know about what sunscreens are safe to use and which ones are full of chemicals that give your kids cancer? Just go to EWG and read about it. Toothpaste, makeup, yeah. Makeup, any great. of that stuff. So please, everyone, support that group. Just send them 25 mm -hmm. bucks, right? Or 100 bucks, whatever is generous for you because they're, they're, they're doing God's work. But you, you go there and you download their list of the dirty dozen. You never eat the dirty dozen. These are the conventional fruits and vegetables that have the highest concentrations of insecticides and pesticides. And rather than that, you download also their Clean 15. These are their conventional fruits and vegetables that have the least amount of insecticides and pesticides. So that's the first thing you do. And the next thing you do is you go to mygreenfills.com and you buy mm. their fruit and veggie wash because it gets yeah. rid of over 90, I think it's 94% of the insecticides and pesticides on the fruits and vegetables. So if you can't get organic, you go to the clean 15, avoid the dirty dozen and get the veggie wash. And that way you're protecting yourself, minimizing the damage for you and your family. It's great advice. I use My Green Fills. I think they rebranded to a new company, but you could still find them by searching My, my yeah. Green Fills. Can't they use that study to go to court and make a case against these glyphosate, herbicides, Roundup, et cetera? Like, are they doing that with this study? Do you know that? Who is they? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know Jeffrey Smith is, I had him on the show. He's a big, he's, you know, somebody who's doing some cool things, but I don't know. John F. Kennedy Jr., right? <laughs> well, he's trying, isn't he? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Yeah. Robert right. F. Kennedy he's, he's Jr., trying. excuse me. Yeah. He's trying. And so he gets yeah. branded by those companies as a nutcase uh, that exaggerate. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't exaggerate. He's, no, he's he telling doesn't. the truth. He's, very smart he's man. telling the truth. Yeah. And it's just inconvenient for us. We don't like to hear this kind of stuff. But couldn't they do something? The they is you. You need to do something. You do this for you and your family. 
And the result is this becomes part of your life that you do organic at every step. You get a bay window in your kitchen and you grow your own herbs, you grow parsley and you put a little fresh parsley on your food, you know, and you, you just start doing the little things that you can do. You get a garden. Now we've got these hydroponic gardens that can go in any room where you, you can grow for a family of four, all the lettuce and tomatoes and different vegetables uh, very inexpensively once you've set this up. It works for years when you use these kinds of things. So there's things that you can do, but they aren't going to protect you. Just, just like with this whole vaccine thing we've got, they are not gonna protect you. You need to be asking questions. Yeah, well said. Wait, great way to finish the conversation. They is you, they is me, they is us. It's it's our day-to-day -day, uh, choices. We vote with our, our dollars um, and we got to make the right decisions here. Your book, you have two great books out there. You can fix your brain and the autoimmune fix. We'll link both of those down below. Your website is thedr.com. If you want to do that smell test, thedr.com slash smell. Anywhere else they could go check you out, Dr. Tom? One of the things that we're... Uh, extremely proud of. We're proud of everything that's out there. My team has worked so hard over the years. They really have. My wife and I traveled to seven different countries and uh, we interviewed 85 different people, the world leaders in autoimmune diseases. And I knew the questions to ask them because I'd read their studies, right? So I didn't say, so how did you get into autoimmunity? You know, I didn't waste time with any of that. Rather, it was so Professor Schoenfeld, when you talk about adjuvants in vaccines, harming people, can you tell us more about that? And you hear about if you carry the gene HLA-DRB1, you're at high risk of having a reaction to a vaccine. And so for your children, your infants, you check those genes so that if they carry HLA-DRB1, caution is advised in the administration of vaccines. Which means if you choose to do vaccines, you give them one. You wait a few weeks, build up their immune system, then you give them one. And you wait a few weeks and you don't give them three, four, six vaccines all at once when their immature immune system can't handle that and, and create the inflammatory cascades that cause so many problems we're seeing from vaccines. This, has been, this debate's been going on for decades now. But when you hear the world's leaders talking about this. And then I interviewed the doctors around the world who were using the concepts that I was talking about here, about where autoimmune diseases come from. And I asked them all to bring in two or three patients who had followed their recommendations and reversed their MS, reversed their lupus, reversed their rheumatoid, reversed their major depressive disorder. And you hear these patients and you see them crying for how sick they were. And finally, they found Dr. So-and-so who was using this new science about the environment. And, and you see that, and you see it again and again and again. It reinforces for you the value of not just putting your toe in the water to this whole concept, but diving in with the life jacket, but diving in to this whole concept of the five pillars of where chronic inflammatory diseases come from. And we put all of this together, 85 interviews, and it's betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you. So if you go to the dr.com forward slash betrayal, it's right there, it's all free for you. Watch the whole thing, um, it's jaw dropping. Uh, and we've had over, it's almost 700,000 people now have watched this. Wow. It's free. And it's, it's free. free. I, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I'm, I'm going to watch every single one of those interviews. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. And your, you're one of the best, uh, Dr. Tom, at articulating what you want to get across, right? Taking some of the research that could go over the head of so many people and slowing it down, using analogies, using stories, and saying it in a way that helps it land. You're one of the best at that. So thank you so much for your work. I look forward to doing another conversation with you. I'm sure Dr. Pompa is going to bring you back into our group and do more trainings. But thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I enjoyed the conversation very much today. Thank you very much. Real pleasure to be with you. And Godspeed to all of you on your health journey.
hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Tom. Uh, he's so much fun, so knowledgeable. I told you the man could articulate his research so very, very well. If you want to learn more about him, check out his links in the notes down below, including that smell test and that series of interviews he did along with his books. Everything could be found down below with his social media handles as well, including the EWG website. You could check that out down below. If this episode was helpful, please share it with somebody you know. Please post it on your social media. Tag me on Instagram, tag Dr. Tom O'Brien. And please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a big difference. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.